Welcome, everybody, to the Macro View. This is Episode 9. On tonight's episode, we're going to be discussing uh, one of the biggest wins for the Liberty Movement, obviously in my lifetime, probably in my parents' and my grandparents' uh, lifetimes, and possibly ever, and it just so happened by chance. Um, obviously, it was something that's, that's been built up and you know, it's been fought for for uh, you know the better part of the last decade, uh, especially beginning with Ron Paul's run in 08 and the, and the massive amount of, of uh, press that it garnered and the following that it garnered. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm finishing up sharing the tonight's episode with a couple of groups on Facebook. Um, I'm going to tell them check it out. Going live now. And uh, the other thing that we're going to discuss tonight is the absolutely most arrogant and ridiculous. And we're going to probably start with this, but the most arrogant and ridiculous statement that I have ever seen come out of somebody, you know, an elitist leftist's mouth. Uh, it is absolutely absurd. And basically what it is, is it is Bill Gates, the $60 billion man, calling for socialism as the solution to climate change and saying that needs to be done because you know, in his mind, ultimately, when you when you boil it down, you know, ultimately, in his mind, he thinks that we're too stupid to figure it out. That there's nobody out there. That, that, that there's nobody out there that will come up with the solution. That no private individual can have the entrepreneurial ability to come up with something innovative, huh? Isn't that surprising, Bill? And why? What, where, where would you be if the personal computer market was considered as important as, I don't know, let's say the solar panel market is today? Not to mention the fact that without you and your entrepreneurial innovations that most people thought of at the time as time-wasting hobbies being run by some Trekkie in his garage or a number of Trekkies in their garage trying to, trying to come up with a product that most people would use, if it wasn't for that incredible personal risk that you took to solve it, in a totally unregulated, almost underground world at the time, if it wasn't for that, the models that we have that are saying, you know, they're powerful enough to calculate some of this stuff, to give climatologists enough of a of uh, enough of a backing to be able to say that it's science, and you know, if it weren't for those, you know, if it weren't for your invention, if it weren't for your computers and your personal computer and the massive impact that it had on the capacity of processors, because now you have billions of dollars, hundred dollars here, five hundred dollars there, seven hundred dollars there, you know, going back, personal computer might have cost a couple grand for a good one, and still can. You look at some of that, but the consumer demand for the personal computer is what drove the processing revolution. And without that processing revolution, which the government would have never done, the government had no incentive to deliver high capacity processing to the layman. And as a result, have even ultra high, you know, much higher capacity processing for high income companies and for the wealthy and for the research and development and even for the government themselves. It's insane. 
you came up with this idea, Bill. You came up with a revolutionary idea that nobody else would have thought of, and you're saying that some bureaucrats in Washington could have done a better job with that or are going to be able to do a better job with this? And maybe you're just out of touch. I mean, I could understand that. Maybe you just haven't been to a post office in long enough. But I was there today filling out a passport application. And let me tell you, it is the one, one of the most absolutely terrible, worst experiences that you have to go through is dealing with these government services. And you're going to leave something that you believe is so important that's humanity-destroying in the hands of the same people that run that organization. That's what you want to do. I mean, it's, just, it's laughable. Get the fuck out of here. There are millions of people out there that care about this, Bill. Are you so arrogant to think that there's not some genius like you whose parents are telling him, get the fuck out of our garage, stop wasting your time, stop fiddling with these stupid, stupid solar panels who isn't going to dedicate the rest of his life to solving it and is probably going to solve it. And I, you know, I, I don't want to just go here and rant because he called for socialism. I want to point to some of the actual fallacies that he himself preaches. Almost from the get-go, he admits that government would be inept at handling this. And his excuse for giving it to government is that, well, you know, venture capitalists don't do that good of a job either. If you look at the number of companies that go bust that venture capitalists invest in, the fact that a lot of these things are boondoggles isn't really justification for not stealing other people's money to invest in it. So obviously the first fallacy is that venture capitalists operate, operate voluntarily. They have voluntary investors that put in capital that they have accumulated and are going to get into the chain and, and you know, the way that they got, got rich because there are a lot of people out there that get rich off of cronyism. I'm not going to get it. Let's just assume that they didn't. They made their living an honest way. They got a couple of million bucks saved up. They don't want to just invest in the stock market. They like doing some, you know, they'd like to do some more, you know, revolutionary or innovative things. They'd like to be able to tell their kids, you know, hey, that social media app or, you know, that solar company that's in, putting solar panels on our roof, you know, I, I helped invest in them. I helped get the People like that. People enjoyed the satisfaction of being able to say, I own a piece of that or I, I invested in that. And it, it, you think that there's, it's the same thing when that person decides, okay, I'm going to give some of my money to a venture capitalist to invest in it because, A, I don't want to deal with having to, to deal with the day-to-day operations and dealing with an executive at this high-tech company that I may or may not know anything about. Some people do want that, and, and, and they usually go that route. But, it, you know, for, for the average, you know, guy who became fairly wealthy or woman who became fairly wealthy, uh, old or young that wants to invest in some venture capital deals, they might go to a venture capitalist. But above and beyond that, pension funds, endowments, they invest in venture capital funds, sovereign wealth funds from around the world, which you can, you know, we, I'm not going to get into the violations of the non-aggression principle that go into building a sovereign wealth fund. Not to digress, there is a lot of private capital. It's private capital 
It's privately controlled capital. And in the case of pensions, it's not exactly, but it is opted into when somebody takes one of those jobs where they get a pension. I'd, I'd love to see some of those go to 401ks. And I'd love to see, and it's something that, that Bill Gates, he, he gets into the fact there's no financial incentive, which, which I'm going to absolutely destroy in a little bit. But he also, he, he makes the, the assertion that basically nobody would invest their money in this. And so you've got to subsidize and the subsidies are working and we're getting there and that we need to triple down and go from spending $6 billion a year um, you, that, that, you know, by the way, 90% of goes bust. Uh, and, and instead of spending that $6 billion a year, we should be spending $18 billion a year of, of, of people's money that we expropriate. Because let's be honest, that's what taxes are. If you don't pay your taxes or you say, I'm going to stand up for principle and I'm not going to pay my taxes because I don't want them investing in this or that. They point a gun at you and put you in a cage. Okay? That's not, you don't have, there's nothing voluntary about it. Now, there are millions of people out there, including myself, who would love to see, absolutely love to see, efficient, unsubsidized, competitive, mass-produced, mass-distributed solar energy. And the person that invents that, or the group of people that invent that and distribute it in the private market are going to become far wealthier than you are, Mr. Gates. It will be so revolutionary, and when it actually is big enough to actually distribute that way, and it's efficient enough to distribute in a way to where it's disruptive, and it's not just solar panels on people's homes, when that happens, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to lose a lot of money. Because currently, the fossil fuel-based utility companies that have regional monopolies and are the only player in their region are considered by investors and investment advisors and all ranges of, of, of financial professionals and investment professionals at every level of the game to be the safest sector. They're so heavily subsidized. They have such a strong control over their market via government. that it, it doesn't, It's not because they're just really good at what they do. And that people mostly hate their utility company. It's a monopoly. It's a local regional monopoly. And it exists because it's willing to take the subsidies from government in order to be able to funnel cheaper energy at peak price points to the poorest people in the community. That, that's what it's all about. And they're financially entangled in a way to where the pension funds are overweight utilities most of the time. College endowment funds are overweight utilities most of the time. Most 401k funds are overweight utilities most of the time. Most retirement funds are overweight utilities most of the time. And you're calling for the same government is overweight fossil fuel heavily subsidized utility companies via their pension obligations to take control of a disruptive industry that would wipe out the multi-billions of dollars worth of wealth 
that's held in utility securities? Out of here. It is not going to happen. Anything that you want to see get done, you should be praying that until it's so disruptive that they can't regulate it, that government doesn't get involved. That's what you should be wanting, Bill Gates. And if anybody should know that, you should. Because you benefited from one of the most unregulated industries that has had one of the most incredible, incredible growth spurts of any industry ever over the last 20 or 30 years. It has revolutionized and changed the way the world works. So much to the point that the case that you're trying to make wouldn't even be knowledgeable if it weren't for that invention and the subsequent investment and processing technology that resulted as that resulted from the competition, from trying to get it, make computers faster and faster and faster at every level of the game, from personal, which was the biggest for the smallest amount of money, the biggest market share, lowest profit margins, to the business level, smaller market share, a little bit higher profit margins, all the way up to the, the giant university research facilities where you have pretty good margins. Processing companies wanted to offer the best processors because it was an open, freely competitive market where the number one goal and the only goal was to serve the consumer. And that is what we need in the energy sector. Okay, so it's, it's already been 15 minutes, and I've been ranting on uh, the, the arrogance, the absolute arrogance of Bill Gates. And I, I did a, a whole blog post on it. You can go and read that. Um, it is titled The Arrogance of Bill Gates, because you know, why not? Why wouldn't it be titled anything? Why would it be titled anything other than that? So now I want to talk about some of the some of the op- things that, the, that, liberty, uh, that liberty lovers should be optimistic about. The people who believe in the free market, that believe in general, people, yes, they are self-interested, but that self-interest also means that they are going to try to produce as much as they can and consume as efficiently as they can in order to provide themselves with the best possible life that they can. They're going to take deliberate actions in order to provide themselves with most satisfaction. For people who understand that and understand that because of preferences, handling something in every two years or every four years through elections where 51% gets to rule over 49%. And if you understand that 51% and 49% don't even exist because really it's all just individuals and they all have different preferences, and they all rank these priorities differently, and they come together and coalesce around giving some person power over the people that don't agree with them to force them to agree with them for a short period of time. For, for those of us that understand that, that understand that that's actually how it works and why it is inherently that markets would be and are much more efficient and deliver to consumers much better goods, much, much more often, much better services. Uh, th- those services rapidly get better over and over and over again. For those of us that understand that and that understand that government's what gets in the way of that and what slows that process down, there, there is something in particular to be optimistic about. And that is the fact that 
Rand Paul is now the most powerful person on Capitol Hill. He is the 51st vote in a Republican majority Senate. He's the 51st vote. And if you gather up another eight Democrats who are willing to go along with you to save face, guess what? He's the 60th vote. He's the 60th vote. Or I guess it'd be nine Democrats, but he'd be the 60th vote. So he, he controls a lot of power right now. He also sits on the, which is extremely important, the uh, Senate Homeland Security Committee. So he's one of 19 votes where 51% approves a nominee for a number of different defense and homeland security and military industrial related bureaucracies where the, the, the nominations, the appointments that a president Trump will make will have to go through. And he's the 10th Republican vote. And given how partisan everything is, given how partisan everything is, if it stays this way and Democrats are going to be, you know, whatever you want to call it, obstructionist, and they're not going to work with Republicans. Now they might, because what is going on in this country is there's been a Republican domination at every elected branch of office at the state and federal level, except for in the Senate. And you have a Republican president, you've got a Republican Congress that's got a very safe uh, majority right now. You have a uh, Republican governors in 33 states. Republicans control a very safe majority of state assembly houses, state houses um, of both Congress and Senate. And in four years, presumably if they're able to maintain that and a disaster does not ensue, in four years, they will have total control over redistricting, basically. And they'll have massive control over redistricting, and they'll be able to essentially create another decade, a, a full decade. And this can be very, very dangerous, but if you have people like Rand Paul leading the policy, and the policy is working, it also could potentially be good. And you can see more and more people move and, and have to think about the libertarian vote. And, and, and but back to the so back to Rand Paul on, on the, the, the you know appointments. And he's he's he understands the position he's in. Right? And and this is his second term as senator. He's somebody who's proposed term limits which I, I'm not going to get into on tonight's episode, but I have very mixed feelings about term limits. He is somebody who's proposed term limits, and this will likely be his second, you know, his last term, and then he'll probably seek the presidency in 2024, assuming, you know, no matter what, right? He's not going to run against a Republican. Uh, I mean, I mean if, if things go kind of crazy, there's a slight, very, very small possibility that maybe he would run as a libertarian or seek the libertarian ticket, but he's not going to run as a Republican in 2020, right? Now, no, who matter, no matter what happens in 2020, 
there's a, he's still going to be in there through 2022. He's, he, he won his term. He's a six-year senator. McConnell's probably going to retire. Um, the governor of Kentucky, who is similar to Rand Paul, um, I'd say Rand Paul may be stronger on a few things, and, and, and Matt Bevin may be a few, stronger on a few things as well, governor of Kentucky, but he'll probably take McConnell's seat. And when he takes McConnell's seat, uh, Rand Paul will become the senior senator from Kentucky for, I, I think it'll be, because McConnell will be up for um, election, not in two, but in two years. It'll be for two years. He'll be the senior senator. Maybe a possibility if Republicans have control at that point that he could even be um, the majority leader. Unlikely, but a, but a very small possibility. And in 2024, he would basically he would, he would retire from his Senate position in 2022 and seek the president, presidential bid as a Republican in, in uh, 2024. Now, that can... It can do a number of things. I mean, depending on what happens, I'm of the belief that there happened to be, and I'm going to be wrapping it up here in the next six or seven minutes, but I, I happen to be of the belief, I happen to be of the belief that there are some significant ticking time bombs in the economy. And if you follow the Austrian method and the Austrian school, you, you, there's really no way you, you can think that that's not possible. Uh, there definitely are. When they go off, I don't know. But it, it, that will give Rand an, an opportunity to assert that we let it fix itself this time, that we look into the Fed a little bit deeper, that we talk about our, our debt policy, uh, that we talk about our entitlement spending. The other thing, and I want to go back to this national security, he already, when I was saying that he already knows the position he's in, he's already come out. What other senator has come out and made news? Rand Paul has already come out and openly said that whether Rudy Giuliani or John Bolton, which are the two whisper names circling for Secretary of State, Rand Paul will vote against on on the Homeland Security Subcommittee. And if he does that, you're not going to get a Democrat to vote for them. They're just going to vote along with Rand Paul and say Rand Paul is kind of a smart guy. And they'll make a political, look, Rand is willing to be bipartisan and da da da, but the rest of these Republicans aren't. And, and he's going to block a vote from being able to occur on either a John Bolton or Rudy Giuliani uh, Secretary of State nomination. And there's going to be a number of people coming up the pipeline for Department of Defense, for head of the CIA, for head of the FBI. Uh, there are going to be a lot of appointments that are going to come up against that committee in which Rand Paul has a deciding vote. There's going to be a number of bills that Republicans in the House are going to pass, that Republicans in the Senate are going to be ready to pass, that Rand Paul is going to be the final vote that they need. And once they have that final vote, then they can go out and do to the Democrats what the Democrats did to them and say Democrats are just being obstructionists. They're not voting with us. We'd love to do this. We'd love to make this bipartisan. The American people spoke. 
look at the, the look at the situation. We almost Republicans control most of the state houses, most of the governorships. They control the U.S. House. They control the U.S. Senate. We have the president. They're the ones that are being obstructionists. The American people have spoken. And Rand Paul has an opportunity to make sure that all those bills get cleaned up and make sure that we say, hey, the American people did speak. They spoke against cronyism. They spoke against government doling out favors to the wealthy and the powerful and the elite. They spoke against artificial barriers to entry that cost entrepreneurs hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, that that waste capital that could be invested in serious innovations that would solve the problems that Democrats want to say they want to solve. We have an opportunity to show the people out there that bureaucrats will not make better decisions for people's lives than they will be able to make for themselves. That is the opportunity that we have. Don't fill it with a bunch of fucking pork. Don't fill it with a bunch of boondoggles and cronyism and a bunch of loopholes for the, for the favored classes or the unfavored, disenfranchised classes, so to speak. You want to renegotiate NAFTA, renegotiate it, but still believe that free trade is the best way forward. That when people have the opportunity to use their dollars to vote their priorities, that it's much more efficient than trying to build a coalition every two, four, six years. Just on the utilitarian standpoint, it's far, far better. From a moral standpoint, you know, this is the only system that appreciates what the left claims to love, which is diversity. It's the only system that appreciates diversity in preference, that appreciates diversity in thought, that appreciates diversity of knowledge. And not only does it appreciate it, it demands it. And not only does it demand it, but it requires, it requires that you also fit the moral sentiment of most people. There's nothing wrong with boycotting people that you, businesses that you don't agree with. There's nothing wrong with putting companies out of business if they're going to be discriminatory. And just deciding we're not going to, sh- to, to use our dollars to vote for their success. We don't believe that their product's a good one. They have very poor moral sentiment. You have the right to do that. You have the right to get, forego a salary at one employer and accept a salary at another employer, even if the salary at the other employer is a little bit lower because you feel as though the other employer offers better you know, does more for social impact or does more for environment. You have that opportunity in this system, in a system of zero or you know, low. I mean, zero would be ideal. Separation would be ideal, but low to zero regulation where government doesn't get to decide where resources are allocated. You get to decide what your priorities are. You get to seek out the people that can change the world and you get to vote your dollars for them all the time. 
You don't get one vote every couple of years. You get to vote every single day of your life. And that's what makes it the moral system. Nobody else is telling you to conform to their priorities under capitalism. Rather, you get to go and take your priorities and try to use the means available to you to reach your ends. And if millions of people, if millions of people which is demonstrated by the amount of political, uh, political uproar that occurs every couple of years. And over 100, you know, 49 million people voted for this side, 49, 48 million people voted for that side just in the presidential election. And there are a couple million for, for third parties. If you just took your money and your resources and your time and, and even I get it. You got a job. You got to feed the kids. You got you, you do. Those are your real priorities. And then you say, I want to go and petition for this. But if you took that educating people and raising money for the cause and take that time. And instead of trying to go and get government to do it, you just got the brilliant people out there, which there's millions of them throughout the world, millions of them. You got that re- those resources into their hands. You found the ones that were as passionate about it as you are, that had complementary knowledge and skills, and you organized freely. That is your right. And in this system, in a system of free and voluntary association and exchange, sometimes deemed free market, sometimes deemed capitalism, you control your own destiny. You get to vote with your dollars, with your time, with your resources on what matters to you. Now, if you choose to vote with those things, you know, on things that are of lesser priorities, well, then that's your error. You don't then go and vote to have other people, because that's what government is. It's just a giant organization of other people. Be able to go and put guns in, faces, in the faces of people that disagree with you and take their money to fund your projects and your boondoggles. You want to fund something, fund it yourself and see how tough it is and deal with the consequences of that risk. Lose your own money. Put your own skin in the game. And if it works out, keep the fucking rewards. We're fine with that too. I'm fine with that. Keep the rewards. And this idea that there's not a financial incentive to solve these problems. Come on. There's 49 million people voted for Hillary Clinton. All right. And Bill Gates is a proposing that $18 billion be stolen from people or borrowed and stolen from future generations in order to fund these projects. If the 49 million people, if the 49 million people that voted for Hillary Clinton took a dollar a fucking day, it's actually a little bit more. The dollar and six-tenths of a penny. If they took a dollar and six-tenths of a penny every fucking day and put it into a fund, 
You got your $18 billion. Do the math. Take $18 billion and divide it by fucking 49 million people who voted for Hillary Clinton. Do the math. It's barely a dollar a day. And you're telling me that this problem can't be solved, Bill Gates? Get the fuck out of here. And he did that. Guess what? This problem would be solved because it'd be private money privately scrutinizing the executives and making sure that they're putting that money towards what they say they are. It wouldn't be a bunch of bureaucratic boondoggles that take people's money and lose it, and then they're left saying, you know, how am I going to follow? How am I going to try to pursue my own dreams? Where do I get the money to go and pursue my own dreams? And if you're not one of the the privileged that gets the boondoggle money. Why would any venture capitalist invest in you or any angel investor invest in you if you're pursuing that same goal? When you're going up against competition, they got a billion dollars for free. They wouldn't. So don't sit there and be higher, you know, more moral than thou. Put up your own dollars. Post something for, for, for the free market. You know, double up your side. You know, instead of taking the, the, you know, half a dollar a day from everybody, just take a dollar a day from your side and keep all of the rewards. I don't even care. If, shit. If somebody has good technology for it, I'll put my dollar in. It's not like I don't want solar to exist. That'd be amazing. If solar were really efficient and were really cheap, and the person that invents and comes up with the way to do that is going to become extremely wealthy Far more wealthy than you, Mr. Gates. And I'm sorry to say it, but that's the truth. I know you don't like that. I know you like being where you're at. But whoever comes up with that is going to dwarf you and Mr. Slim and Mr. Bezos and Mr. Buffett. Whoever invents that, they're going to be the next Rockefeller. Just like Rockefeller invented gasoline. He didn't invent it, but he, he had foresight to hire chemists to be able to take separate you know, they're throwing the gasoline out before this. Go look it up. They're throwing the gasoline out. And Rockefeller is like, what's that stuff? And they said, oh, it's gasoline. We don't really have a use for it. So he hired a bunch of chemists and found a use for it. The whole point of drilling for oil back then was kerosene to light lamps. They didn't use gasoline. And they didn't use diesel. And they didn't have jet fuel. And all of that was invented by Rockefeller. And the person that invents the solar energy equivalent is going to be the next Rockefeller. And guess what? They deserve to be. And they won't become that if they make it, if they hold out and consumers don't demand it because it's too high of a price. And they're willing to stick with the fossil fuels. They have to make it affordable to the vast masses to where 0.3 or 0.4% of people who are voluntarily outside of the realm of society don't opt for the solar option in order to become wealthy, and they're going to have to charge basically nothing for it, and their profit margins will probably be razor thin. If you didn't have intellectual property rights, which I'm not going to get into on this particular podcast, but if you didn't have that barrier, it would happen even quicker. Competition... And human innovation and allowing people to set their priorities and pursue their priorities 
That is what will solve these problems. I'm sorry to be to, to come back and finish up the show, you know, with another rant, but it pisses me off. And you know, the news about Rand Paul is big, and I really do hope he has the backbone and the fortitude to stand up and say, "You say you're the party of free markets. Stop with all the cronyism. Stop acting like." This party, the Republican Party, did not do the same damn thing that Democrats did the last time they had this, this, uh, you know, this amount of power. Stop acting like that. Get it right this time. Actually repeal regulations. Wholesale. Actually allow free markets to work and defend them. And explain how people make decisions that they believe are best for them at the time. And with less government in the way, <coughs> excuse me, with less government in the way, they'll be able to make those decisions more and more easier. It'll take less and less time to make those decisions. They'll be more and more informed in making them. They'll feel more and more satisfied in making them. They'll have a lot more productivity as a result of the additional capital that goes towards all sorts of innovations to increase labor productivity, which will subsequently increase wages. Uh, Goods will be much more abundant, which ultimately helps the poorest of the poor. And if you stick to free trade, hey, your your goal of of solving starvation and some of the most tragic situations around the world – That starts to happen, too, from this abundance. Let people create. They know what they're doing. Each one of us has an end goal in mind. We all want to see the world be better. We all feel as though, in some way or another, we're contributing to that. And if you freed us up to do more of it, we would. That's my message for tonight, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm logging out. This is Andrew Smith. This was the Macro View.